at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casilla. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, we can soon gamble week, legally. It was rambling time earlier this year, and now it is gambling time. Yes, for those who live in states that are likely to um, allow it, which I believe we both, I assume California is. I know New York will. There, there's literally no way California <laughs> avoids this. Yeah. Especially when we already have casinos here. Um, obviously, California would love to get in on the uh, gambling that we hand over to Vegas nearby every year. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see it taking very long for for arguably, if not completely, the most liberal state in the union <laughs> to be all in on gambling very shortly. Yeah, I assume, I mean, there's what, I mean, I'm sure there will some that will continue to outlaw it, but I think any, any, any state on the coasts is probably a pretty good bet to uh, allow it, um, if not right away, then pretty pretty quickly. I feel like even in some of the states that you would think wouldn't be a fan, I feel like there's like Native American casinos already. Yeah, I mean, I also don't think it's going to be like a direct like liberal conservative line because obviously like sports gambling isn't a super like partisan thing. Right. Um, it's great for so local yeah, economies. I, yeah, that's like I'm sure Connecticut will jump on it because they need all the help they can get. Um, obviously Jersey was like kind of pushing for this in the beginning. So, um, definitely exciting. Um, obviously I don't think many of us who gamble at any, any amount, uh, had a much of an issue doing so, but it just, it was a dumb thing to have illegal. Uh, and obviously there are issues with, with gambling, people getting addicted, but that's really with any kind of, any kind of activity of this sort. So, um, obviously I think people should have the option and, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens to like Las Vegas. Yeah, because that's the thing, like, they have showed, like, statistics that less, like, fewer and fewer people that visit Vegas are, are, are gambling in a traditional sense, so not the sports books, but going to the card tables and roulette and craps and all that, like, and, and I've seen it, like, I haven't been there in a couple of years, but what, you're seeing fewer people our age gamble in traditional sense, at least parking it at, at tables the way that, you know, older folks do especially around here where uh, there's plenty of buses that head from the Southern California area um, over to Vegas week you know every weekend or some of the other like crappy casinos around here and, and you just don't see as much of that from, from younger people so I think Vegas I don't know how much they'd be fans of it because they do feel like this is going to have a really negative effect for them um, I know for me more and more every time I'm there I spend much more time in the sports books than I do with the tables I would think that this could take some of the wind out of their sails, and that's really not great timing for them, given you know the the investment from businesses, the investment from casinos, obviously, um, the investment from you know both the NHL and the NFL upcoming. Um, it does seem like this could spell some negative things for them, though. Admittedly, like I don't want to be an alarmist either, um, but 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 I don't I don't necessarily think this would be a positive for them. Yeah, I. They would probably have preferred the status quo. At the same time, I also assume that they kind of figured this was a stark possibility. Um, right. It kind of seemed like we were heading this way, um, and it just didn't seem like there were that many people that were like, there isn't like a huge group of anti-gambling people that are super notable. There are obviously people that were against it, um, like in, in government and whatnot, but it wasn't like a, a giant like I don't know of a giant anti-legalized gambling lobbying firm or something that. Uh, was out here on the front lines. So it seemed like a thing that was um, likely to eventually pass at some point. So I have to assume like the people that are running sports books uh, who, who know what they're doing in terms of making money were probably, you know, ha- had some contingency plan here and, and, and um, understand that this was a, a pretty decent possibility. Oh, of course. And I mean, you know, the, the, the counterpoint in a positive sense for them is that, okay, well, like, sure, we might lose out on some people as like more casual sports books, open away from casinos that said like 
getting more people to not view gambling as this like especially sports gambling as this like you know societal ill leads to more people gambling on sports which does lead to more people spending money here yeah and and like you said i think a lot of the I, I don't know how many people are making like trips to Vegas to gamble on sports specifically. I think people are making trips to Vegas for like the, the whole, whole experience. Yeah, the, the whole experience and the sportsbook is part of it. Yeah, and when you're there, like I can, I, you know, I had accounts to places I could gamble otherwise. But when I was in Vegas the last few summers, I placed bets at the sportsbook because it was, you know, a, a slightly different type of experience and it was just like a different thing to do and it felt like a little more official and and. I don't think that's going to go away, especially compared to, like, you know, you're not going to have Vegas popping up everywhere. You're going to have, like, I'm sure a couple, like, off-track betting places and, and whatnot uh, here and there. But it's not going to be, like, the full, you know, thing of walking into a, a, the Westgate and seeing a million TV screens and having, like, the giant, like, I, it's just not going to be replicable across the board. So I, I still think, you know, people are going to be going there. And I don't think this will be, like, a death knell, but I'm sure they're not, like, super thrilled. Yeah, you see, I actually think, like, big cities, I mean, New York, L.A., I think you'll actually see, like, major sports books be able to open there, and maybe even sports books that are owned by, you know, some of the, the current folks, you know, looking at MGM in particular and Caesars, like, those, those places being able to just open other locations elsewhere, but, you know, without the resort and casino aspect of it, because, like, I, I do think that, you know, going back to my earlier point, like, if you're seeing fewer and fewer young people gamble in the traditional sense, like, this doesn't necessarily open the floodgates for casinos in every city, but it does open the floodgates for sports books. And I think we might actually see a trend toward less of an OTB feel and more of, like, a premium and, and you know, like, luxury experience a little bit. Because, like, while I agree that people aren't going to Vegas for the sports book experience year-round, I think around the NFL playoffs, around March Madness around some of the big bowl games like people do make that trip i know like i've done the march madness trip and like people literally just live at the sports books for those events so i could see that potentially being a slight hit but again might be off might be balanced out by the fact that more people are going to like sports betting is going to be normalized therefore um more people are just doing it in general so that helps everybody yeah that's a really good point and, and like you said like a lot of the major companies i'm sure will be the ones who are leading the charge in terms of opening places in the major cities. So it's not going to be like, I, it'll probably be pretty hard to like get into that space. Otherwise, um, obviously like MGM and, and those types of companies know what they're doing in terms of opening these, uh, like uh, a sports book. So I'm sure there will be new companies in the space, but I'm sure they already have a leg up as well. So that kind of mitigates a lot of the issues for Vegas in particular. Yeah. And I mean, it also depends on like how the States want to handle this. If the States want to handle it, there's a, you know, I know we saw this with, uh, you know, legalization of marijuana in a lot of states. Um, it's a pretty, you know, extensive process to be able to get approvals and, and, and all that. And, and with that comes taxation, obviously. Like, we'll see certain states will probably create more hoops than others. Um, I, you know, you're not going to see, like, Trader Joe's suddenly have a sports book <laughs> in, in the corner. But, yeah, I mean, depending on how liberal or, or, or how, like, stringent the, these rules are, you could potentially see... Um, you know, much more, again, this goes to the normalization point. This is how you get much more casual experiences if it's, you know, like a supermarket or a movie theater or like, you know, random drugstore where you can place a parlay bet, um, you know, versus just having it in set locations. So I I think there's a lot more to be decided. I think we're going to see on that front. But uh, what I'm also interested in seeing is kind of its effect on college sports in particular, where uh, this is a brand new revenue stream for them. Um, and, and one that they've largely, you know, efforted to keep everybody out of. And now it's going to be interesting to see how college commissioners and athletic directors and all that um, are, are able to manage its its almost undoubted effect on uh, on college sports. Yeah, I'm sure college will be the the least responsive. Obviously, the NFL hasn't really been as open as um, most of the NBA and NHL, I guess, by putting a team in Vegas. Like that's a pretty clear uh, sign that you're somewhat open to things but the nba has been like the real i mean in so many issues but especially this um so progressive in in terms of how it handles these things that are pretty inevitable um and it's very good at getting out in front of things and then the mlb has been kind of behind them um the nfl i don't think has i'm sure they put out a statement but they really haven't jumped aboard although i'm sure you know once they see the nba taking a cut 
Uh, well, and the Raiders right are going there. They would have to. I mean, That's I, true. I, I yeah. forgot about that. The Raiders are going there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think the, the pro sports will be, um, even if it's, like, somewhat, uh, you know, skeptically, I think they will uh, all jump aboard. College, I'm sure, will fight, will will be tooth and nail against it, uh, even as, you know, there's nothing they can really do about it, I don't think. Uh, um, and I don't know. I feel like the NCAA should be more open-minded about trying to get their cut here. Um, maybe they all at the same time as like railing against it, but they're just so bad at getting ahead of things. It's I don't I don't have a lot of faith. Yeah, I mean, where and I, I mentioned this briefly in like the links post I put up the other day. Like, that I, I think what they should do, to be honest, is like pass some pretty like clear rules right away that like don't need a lot of deliberation, but then like don't close the door, but like leave it open, but don't, but also don't make it easy to like violate them accidentally. Maybe you have a rule that, you know, you can use sponsors, but they can't have in-stadium betting. Like if you want to do that right away, like maybe just establish, you know, one official sports book of the ACC, whatever it is, like establish this hard and fast rules, make a rule that, you know, players can't, players and coaches can't participate in gambling on their own team. Um, and the outcomes, like, because, you know, I mean, if it's that widespread, like, a player could easily just, like, step outside that rule if it's not in there for them. Setting up some hard and fast rules like that and then maybe doing some more research and going into it so that you're covered for the 2018-2019 academic year, that might not be a bad idea. And and given the fact that we're still going to be waiting on states to to make their own regulations, like, that's probably the most prudent thing to do, um, at least in the short term, for, for the ACC and every other conference. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what the like immediate uh, response is from the NCAA. I'm, I'm sure again, I'm sure there's been a statement that didn't say anything, but um, it seems like there will have to be some like rule clarifications in whatever they meet next. Um, because uh, I don't know, I, I uh, well, they're gonna do I the same thing how... they do about booze. Is that they said blanket no, then it was like ah oh, well maybe, and I was like ah oh, why don't we give it a, why don't we let a trial run happen? Then okay, if that seems to work, let's do a little bit more, and then suddenly it's like all right, everyone can have booze. That's probably right, um, and it makes sense. I, I more mean like for the players, although I'm sure there's already like a million like anti-gambling rules on the books for players and coaches. We've already had, you know, we've had gambling scandals in college sports before. So, right. yeah, I, I, I we'll see what what goes on. I don't I don't anticipate this like really changing too much about uh, how college sports are run, just because you know, they're always so far behind things. Um, but maybe the NCAA wises up and tries to get their cut like the NBA will. I would agree, though. And then, not, and then not give it to the players. Yeah, because, <laughs> that's definitely what's not going to happen. It will go to everybody but them. Um, yep. But I, I hope that maybe this starts spurring a little more of that conversation. Who knows? Um, in other big news in college sports uh, this week, obviously uh, directly related to us, uh, Syracuse has approved um, $118 million spend on what they're calling new stadium experience um, renovations. So very little mention of Dome, no mention of Carrier. Um, Dan, do you think they're getting out of this contract? Uh, they're going to they're gonna try. Uh, that, I mean, they actually they put it in, and it said Dome at first. It didn't say Carrier ever, but the first, uh, the first draft of the release called it new Dome experience, I think, and then they very quickly revised that and took the word Dome out as well. A, because, like, I guess with this hard roof, it isn't really a dome anymore, which is weird to think. I think everyone will still call it the dome. Right. Um, but B, I assume they just don't want the dome branding in there at all, uh, just to make it very clear that this is no longer the carrier dome. This is like a whole, like, basically, their, their argument's going to be like, it's not a the dome. dome. The building it's itself not a dome. is no It's longer. not the carrier dome. The building itself is going to have enough changes to be, like, a different stadium. Um, so they're just going to do whatever they can, and they should. Like, the, the carrier contract was it it was a, t- a tough spot for Syracuse um they probably should have had more foresight with uh with how they structured it but I believe it was if not the first like one of the very first um naming rights uh deals and it was the first case, in college yeah so there really wasn't a lot of knowledge in terms of what the like going rate for those were so we got this like what one million dollar lifetime deal from Terrier which I'm sure at the time we you know who's turning down a million dollars even if you're a school um when you assume that like it's not going to be the most huge thing, we're 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 big, you know, iconic stadiums like the Terrier Dome. Honestly, is probably one of the the more iconic in in college sports when you really think about it. Like everyone knows of the dome, 
Um, and it definitely has way more value than that. And instead, we got stuck with this like horrible lifetime contract for a company that then ditched out on the, the area, what, like 10 years later? Yeah. So um, they it'll be a little weird when they eventually do get out of that contract, uh, but it's absolutely the right move for the stool um, and for the, for the facility. So hopefully they, they get that done. Um, and that being said, like, I, you know, I think eventually people will, will forget like the whole carrier part or not forget, but they'll move on from it. But I think they will always call it the dome, whatever the new name of ends up being. Yeah, I, I buy that. And, you know, hopefully it, it ends up being a local business that jumps in. Hopefully it's one that like, you know, I'd much rather like, you know, the Wegmans Coliseum than like the Bain Capital Dome. Yeah. Wegmans people will lose. I mean, I think people will be very, very excited. Uh, we all know of the local uh fervor for wedmans and justifiably so um i think it'd be harder hard to to find a more uh beloved company to take it over and obviously i think wedmans is pretty probably big enough now um they're all over the place they're down in like virginia so that'd be really cool maybe they said they should just stick a wedmans in the in the <laughs> new um not dome so people can just do their shopping that they would be doing when they're not going to the football game yeah, I mean, that kind of gets to my next point of, like, what should be in this thing? Because there's, there's, like, some cool features, and we can go, kind of go through them in this episode. But I think one of the big ones that was kind of discussed in the lead-up to all of this was around, you know, w- what do we introduce here? Um, and, and how much of a role does, uh, does local food have in all of this? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm hoping that that, that in particular... Um, and. and I don't necessarily know if it ends up being food shopping, but I think a Wegman sub uh, station does sound like a, a no-brainer. Yeah, um, I think anything local is, is a pro. Plus, um, the fact that there isn't a dinosaur stand yet is like already because there are like there's a local bar. There's like a not a local. There's a barbecue spot that opens up I think just during basketball season, um, but it's not Dino. It's I think it's just like non-branded. Um, but Dino should definitely have a spot in there. There they have one in like the airport. I think like there's no reason why they can't get like a you know very limited menu you know brisket pulled pork sandwiches uh in the stadium um local beers i mean the syracuse beer seems like quite good uh there should be more local options they started getting more like in the last couple of years so there have been like minor things with the concessions they've been doing and i think they just need to like just really ramp that up you, you can have your cardboard pizza slices and your nachos but there should be uh much more in terms of what you can get there uh wagmans make sense like a, a, a sub stand would be a no-brainer yeah, I mean, I think I think anything that connects the the arena to the local community is a plus, especially in a place like upstate New York. Yeah, and I mean, every other stadium's doing it, you know, large and small too. Like, I mean, I, I know I think I talked about this a couple episodes ago that like you look at uh, like StubHub Center in Carson uh, here in LA where the Galaxy play, like pretty much all the food is uh, is, is local food trucks. Like, you couldn't do that inside the dome, obviously, but you could do something similar with, you know, portable stands um, or just kiosks setups that are reserved for either a rotating list or some permanent and some rotating, um, you know, local vendors. Yeah, and that's actually a pretty good idea in terms of, like, keeping the options fresh because then, you know, you might have a lackluster, you know, a toll gate game on the schedule, but you have a couple of food stands that haven't been in there before and people, you know, it becomes more of a... Obviously, you want to focus on the sports, but... There, the, there's a huge drive just in terms of all these, pretty much everywhere, um, where attendance has been down. So it's it's more about the experience and the other things you can do while at the event that you can't do at your house. So something like that, where it's not going to be the same list of like five uh, food options every game. And obviously, those have been very uh, stagnant at the Dome for years now. Uh, could definitely be a, a nice thing and a good way to, to you know, benefit the, the community as well. Um, get you know, some local vendors, semester, semester pub and exposure in the dome, which would be cool. Agreed. Agreed. Um, another, I mean, pretty much buried the lead here. The, uh, the big thing coming to the dome, air conditioning. This is uh, long awaited, only needed for about two months, but definitely, uh, definitely huge. I would say that this was high on the list for just about everybody when they've done dome surveys um, both through Syracuse Athletic Department and Syracuse.com. I know anytime we mention it, AC is a big deal. Um, Dan, do you think AC drives more attendance, though, or do you think it's just a nice to have for the people that were already coming in the door? Uh, it can't hurt. I think that's one of the things that people point to, especially in those early football games where attendance has been a real struggle. Um, anyone who was at the 2012 Northwestern game in the, in the upper deck will tell you 
Um, the dome gets really, really hot, <laughs> especially early in the year. It was really nice that weekend, the first weekend of September. Um, that was the awful game where Keon Lynn was had that fan that like mystery foul call uh, penalty called against him that basically cost us the game. Oh, I um, yeah, it was like ninety five degrees in the dome. Uh, it was really, really uncomfortable. So yeah, it's funny because like you don't need it most of the time, but in like lacrosse season and like the first couple weeks of football season, it's brutal. And and the bigger part of the AC is that it would allow you to have um, summer events at the dome, uh, concerts. I, we've seen what's gone on with the Lakeside Amphitheater. Um, I haven't been there yet, but because going up to Syracuse in the summer is like a, a bit much for me. But um, they've been getting a lot of different shows. Like pretty much anyone who's doing like the amphitheater circuit in the summer is stopping there. And there's no reason why the Dome can't compete for um, some of those big shows, uh, especially if the new roof uh, allows for better acoustics, which is going to be a question. I assume the the echo at the top of the stadium won't be as bad. But either way, like we know that there's a push for doing more events in the Dome in general, and the ability to have AC on there in the summer would be huge. They'd be able to do a lot more stuff. Yeah, 100%. Um, you mentioned the roof. Um, there's two aspects of the roof that we should probably talk about. Uh, for one, new fixed roof. Uh, no more inflatable. That means no more whoosh as you leave. Um, Which is a, 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 a t- they should they should find a way to recreate the whoosh. You can do the uh, like those uh, hurricane simulator things. Yeah, there should be like one exit where you can do the <laughs> like the old dome jump. Just to give yeah that just to give kids the uh, the experience if they never had it. Um, the other part of that is uh, the natural lighting bit. Um, and somebody brought it up in the comments on the blog. I figured I'd bring it up here. Um, while that sounds awesome, and I like it quite a bit, um, it does create a potential weird kind of shade situation, um, especially for basketball, where you know it wouldn't be coming in necessarily in the center of the court, or it would be coming in kind of on the side of the court. Dan, do you think anyone's thought through this? Uh, do you think it's going to be a problem? I know the mock-ups make it seem like it might become an issue. I also don't... I don't really know enough from an engineering standpoint about how this would potentially be resolved. Yeah, it was actually one of the first things I thought of because, like, having the natural light for football is going to be awesome. And it looks like, like, honestly, it just looks really pretty. Um, yeah. But for basketball, it's any day game, it could be an issue. Um, I imagine they have to have thought about this. Uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for them not to have. You'd think. Um, but I also, like, yeah, right. I also don't know why. I don't. I can't imagine if you're building this kind of roof that it would be that much of an issue to. Um, implement some some sort of like shade, like literal shade to put over uh, whatever spots you need to keep there from being a glare on the court. Um, obviously, like I'm sure some natural light can get into the audience. I don't think that's a huge deal, but I can't imagine there's like it's, it's like a hugely problematic thing to to get something to cover up whatever you need to cover. Yeah, I mean, for me in general, like football or basketball, while I think that the the natural light's cool. I do wonder about like what effect it has in the middle of the of the field. Like I remember, you know, back in the old uh, Texas Stadium days for the Cowboys, they had that like kind of sunspot in the middle. I think some other teams have something similar. Like, do wonder just if like it it does create a little bit of a an area where it's either incredibly warm or you you know sun get in your eyes a little bit. I'm sure again, uh, th- this isn't the first rodeo for the people designing the stadium, so I'm sure it's been thought about, but. Just something to consider, at least. Yeah, one thing we should take note of is that Syracuse did not engineer this themselves. They hired someone that isn't Syracuse to do it. So I assume like things will be spelled correctly and numbers <laughs> will be put on the right way. Um, and something like a sunspot or uh, you know shading for the basketball or court bowl. I'm assuming those have been thought through. Um, I don't know for sure. Uh, there's always the chance that they have not been, um, but I hold out hope. I mean, there's been accidentally like dumb things in other stadiums before i mean then there's even purposefully dumb things i mean remember the old hill like at uh minute Maid park in houston like the fact that people wanted to play baseball on purpose in tropicana field like these are all these are all purposeful things that like just happen and, and are intentionally designed yeah i feel that's a lot with like older stadiums um, especially from like the 80s and 90s, there was a lot more like ridiculous stuff like that. True. Versus now, I feel like new stadiums are pretty well thought out. They are, admittedly. Um, all right, why don't we talk a little halftime, and then we can uh, get into more of this and probably talk some nonsense in the, uh, the second half of this show. Sounds good. So uh, what have you been drinking? So I have a couple of new things. Um, I was in Atlanta last weekend. We didn't do a show last week. 
Um, I had a couple of different local things that we had actually talked about um, before I went down, which was nice. I had a Tropicalia from Comforts, uh, which is a solid uh, IPA, um, one of the, the local Atlanta breweries that you had mentioned. I had an Over and Over by Orpheus, um, which was... I can't remember what it was. Uh, oh, that was a sour, which was really delicious. I think it was a pineapple sour. Mm. Um, pretty light on the alcohol. It was only 4%, but like super drinkable. Uh, really nice pineapple flavor. So that was really good. Uh, I had a high lie down there, uh, which was nice. Obviously, that's not an Atlanta beer, but it's a very good beer that it will not turn down generally. Um, I had a bunch of truck torpedoes at the music festival I, festival I was at uh, from Sierra Nevada. It was actually nice that like Sierra Nevada was like the well, actually no, the default beer was like Ozeki's, which uh, mm-hmm. honestly like if you're if you're going for like your your cheapest possible beer there, like I'll take it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there are far worse beers than a, a Dos Equis Amber. Um, but then Tropical Torpedo and regular Sierra Nevada uh, torpedoes were all over the place, so that was nice. Uh, and then I also had a, a Duval uh, the other day, which was good because Duval is uh, always like a, a solid standby, especially if you can find it in a in a bottle. True. Um, for me, I was in North Carolina for a bit. Um, had from Westbrook the uh, Key Lime Pie Goza, finally. Uh you can find Westbrook stuff uh, a lot more frequently around there. So I grabbed that um, shortly after I got to RDU. Grabbed a can of uh, Cloud Surfer, uh, Hazy IPA from Trophy that was super good. Um, I had from Brewery Vivana over in Raleigh. Had a bouquet. It was a barrel-aged Belgian triple that was super good. Had a couple sequentials from Dogfish Head. Had a Death by Hops uh, IPA from Old Hickory in North Carolina. And then out here, I had from Thorn Brewing, had a Hopster Pot, um, New England IPA, had an Old Town IPA from Tustin Brewing Company. I've had it before. Uh, they've altered the recipe a little bit. I think it's actually tasting really, really good right now. Um, had from Beachwood Blendery, a, a Careful With That Raspberry Eugene uh, Lambic. And then from Modern Times, I had Orderville IPA. Uh, that's always a good standby and, and is on pretty regularly around here. Also had uh, several glasses of uh, High West American Prairie um, whiskey that was... I'll always drink High West. They're a fantastic distillery out in Utah. Who knew? Utah. I know. Of of all the states that would produce that, Utah knows what's up. Very nice. Anyway. um, Okay. So, other things uh, for this stadium to be named. Um, vertically hung scoreboard. Uh, we alluded to that a little bit earlier, just in terms on of a, the on space. On a, a track, too. On a track, which is really smart. Um, yeah, I was glad really to hear cool. that. <laughs> when I first saw it, the first question a lot of people had was, uh, what do you guys do about basketball? And on a track. Super smart. I'm, again, very glad that they're doing that. Uh, new sound and lighting systems, that's a given. Enhanced Wi-Fi. Uh, I feel like a lot of stadiums are going that route. CB determined on how enhanced it really is. Um, you know, I've been to a bunch of NCAA events where they like, you know, roll in all the the, the sell on wheels and everything else, and they say that it's better, and then it really isn't. So we'll see for like a, a standard game just how how good the Wi-Fi is. Um, I don't know, Dan. You've been to a game at the Dome more frequent or more recently than I have. How's the Dome Wi-Fi now? Um, it's been bad pretty much every time I've gone. <laughs> there you go if it works at all you're you're thrilled um <laughs> and apparently that goes to the media too which is uh i haven't covered a game in the dome in a long time but um yeah no that, i mean that's that's probably the bigger issue but yeah it's never been good it's been there but it's never been good for the uh normal experience it's fine like up until game time and then once everyone's actually there it just goes to hell i feel like that's the standard unfortunately uh, across the board no matter where you go yeah, that's not even like a dome issue. That's like literally everyone issue. Yeah, it's just that these things are never stress tested for some reason. Yeah, the one place I think City Field's Wi-Fi has done a lot better recently, and there have been some stadium Wi-Fi's that are okay. Um, I actually have the Barclays Center media Wi-Fi on my uh, device. Oh, same. From like one time I covered something there, <laughs> um, which is always nice. But yeah, otherwise, like you know, overall stadium Wi-Fi is very shoddy. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully that's better. Um, 
what else? Oh, ADA up accessibility upgrades that are just good in general. Though I did see, I didn't see anything about seating upgrades, and I think everyone's a little like annoyed by that. That we're probably still doing bleachers on most of this stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It kind of surprised me if they didn't, if that wasn't part of like one of the next steps. It seems like they're doing the roof first, and then they're doing the internal stuff. Because I believe Pete Sala like actually mentioned this specifically as a thing they wanted to to address. At least, at least like for some sections, maybe. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, honestly, I just think if like some of them are upgraded, that'd be good. I'm sure the luxury boxes will be upgraded because they're pretty outdated. Um, and then the last thing. Oh, and then of course, can't forget uh, bathroom upgrades. The uh, the troughs are dead. And uh, yeah, some people are some people are more happy about that than others. Dan, I, I didn't realize how passionate people were going to be about the troughs on both sides. I. I'm not a huge fan of the troughs, but, like, it doesn't end my life. It's not, like, you know, the bane of my existence. Right. Um, obviously, uh, our good friend Hoya Setsa felt very differently. He um, <laughs> he wrote an entire piece on the troughs going away. A treatise. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'd say, I'd reckon to say, the response has been more pro-trough than anti-trough. Which, like, doesn't surprise me. I mean, no offense, Syracuse citizens, former and current. Um, but... We, we are a group that's very stuck in our ways, and, and I do feel like this is just another one of those, like, typical opinions of, like, of course you're pro-trough because it's the current thing versus... Yeah, like, and it also wasn't even, like, older people. It was just, like, there, there were people I know that are my age in the comments that were very pro-trough. So I was like, all right, well, it's, I guess, like... I'm just anti... I like, I, I, I mean, I, I even mentioned in the comments, Dodger Stadium is, like, 7K bigger, and they have urinals, and it's fine. yeah. I, I do enjoy that the new push now in the comments for a couple of posts are instead of getting rid of the troughs, we should just move them to the center so everyone has to look at each other. <laughs> and I really, I really enjoyed that. I uh, thoroughly, because that's been like half the comments the last couple of days. Well, you don't even, the thing is like, you don't even need to change anything if you do that, because then you just make the troughs the sinks. And That's true. You just reconfigure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, do you even need to reconfigure? I guess is the question. The sinks are probably not, not big enough, if I'm trying to remember the dome sinks. <laughs> just, yeah, just make them slightly bigger, make the trough slightly smaller. I know I joked in the comments, too. What if you just put trough, would you put a trough in every stall? <laughs> would, that, would that be a compromise? What you could do is just put up, like, uh, like dividers along yeah. the trough. I just, and then you get rid of, like, some of the issue. You get rid of some of the issue. I just, for me, like... Everyone's making this really big deal about like the efficiency, and I don't really think it's that much of a change, or at least as big of a change as they think it is. No, because you can just like put that many stalls up, and it's maybe like one or two extra people bumped out, depending on how close people are getting during these trough sessions. Um, but like, it doesn't take that much time to exit a stall, or exit like. Uh, uh, you know, just don't walk away from a urinal. Yeah, like, like the, that's the thing. Like the urinal area, like the urinal area is designed for the most part. Like maybe you lose one person lopped off, but like by and large, it's it's the same amount of space. Yeah, the fact that there are like it's just I don't know, it's it's a weird it's a weird uh, thing to get like super hung up about. Yeah, so you know that, that that's definitely going to be the case. Um, I'm looking forward to those going away. I think everybody else is too, um, but we'll see. Um, uh, I, l like you, I was very surprised to see the amount of just like pro and anti venom on both sides, where people are pretty pissed, like one way or the other. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the uh, at orange bias uh, video earlier with uh, I will remember you and the I saw uh, that. That and the trough pictures. That was very good. Uh, well done, Internet, as always. You, uh, you, you are undefeated. Yeah. I, I think part of it's that, like, we didn't get that many details aside from, like, the scoreboard and the roof um, in terms of what's actually changing. So, like, the trough, the troughs were, like, the one big thing you could grab onto. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to, to mourn their loss. No, same. I guess some other things. We talked Dome quite a bit today. Um NCAA lacrosse tournament's still going on both sides. Um, wrote an article today ranking the teams left um, by hate because half the bracket, and, and specifically one side of the bracket, is a group of teams that we do not like. And then the other side of the bracket is like one team that maybe we don't like, but by and large we just don't really care about the other four. 
Dan, do you feel like the order I put together aligns with yours, or do you feel like some teams need to shuffle around? Um, I don't. The the one thing I will say, I don't mind Cornell as much as like I'd probably put Duke. I definitely put Maryland ahead of them. I'd okay. probably put Albany ahead of them. Right. I just don't have like a. I, I feel like Cornell's like a good program. They've won before. Um, we beat them in in '09 in that awesome game. So like, I don't have a huge problem if Cornell wins. And then after that, though, I I, I kind of I agree. Um, Loyola, I have no problem with. I think Yale is probably who I would root for uh, as a Connecticut cutter. Um, I just always like Yale. I don't know why. Yeah, I feel like they're they're like less. I know, that's probably not true. Uh, but less it's not like, douchey Ivy. <laughs> yeah, uh, compared to Harvard at least, and that's probably not. And and Princeton probably in lacrosse, and they're also not like a classic lacrosse powerhouse, right? Which helps. Um, and they're from my home state. I've been to Yale. I've like worked in New Haven before. It's it's a, a really nice campus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Denver, I don't know. So Denver kind of annoys me sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be like the. I don't, I really don't want to be like the 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 lacrosse purist person. Uh, um, I'm never that person. Um, so yeah, I think if it's if it's Denver versus like any of those top four or five, I'm fine with them winning. But I think I would definitely root for Yale or Loyola ahead of them. See, I just I want Denver to, to succeed because I want West Coast Lacrosse to succeed. I would laugh if West Coast Lacrosse succeeding ended up basically like crushing the uh, the Big East Lacrosse Conference. <laughs> because if enough West Coast teams showed up, Denver would be there, and the Big East would be uh, SOL in terms of their best program. That would be pretty funny. That would be pretty funny just because, yeah, like, you know what? We didn't destroy the Big East the first time around, but anything that happens afterward, I'm cheering for now just to see it happen so that we can point to that and go, see, that's the moment. But that might just be bitter on my end. Um, Yale faces Loyola. Uh, Denver faces Albany. So ideally over there, I, I would love um, a Yale versus Denver situation in the Final Four on one side. And then the other, give me... I'd be fine with Maryland Duke, but Cornell Duke's also fine, I guess, as long as, like, unfortunately, I have to root for Duke to get to the, the championship game. Yeah, that's tough. I think I might dislike Maryland lacrosse more than I dislike Duke. I mean, I just dislike Maryland fans more than I dislike Duke lacrosse. Just Maryland lacrosse has done so many awful, like, there's so many bad memories associated with Maryland, where Duke, like, when Duke's beaten us, they've just been really good. Right. And... Maryland did, like, the whole, like, squatting on the ball thing in, like, 2011. Yeah. Um, whatever year that was. Uh, yeah, just have, like, that was probably my least favorite lacrosse memory ever, uh, going to that game um, in Foxborough. I went to the game we lost to Duke in the title, Oof. and, like, at least we were there, and Duke just, like, was awesome. Um, I can deal with that. I can deal with just losing to a really good team. I can't deal with losing to Maryland, you know, laying down and, and playing, parking the bus. Like, just, ugh. Well, well, at least they made rules to prevent them from doing that anymore. Yeah, for sure. Also, like, I guess I can, you know, we can also toss in the ACC Pride, uh, like, thing if we need a differentiator. Well, like, the AC. I mean, I mentioned this kind of in, uh, in my post recapping the Cornell loss. I do feel like, you know, us going 4-0 against that group, three of the four teams getting knocked out in the first round. Like, I know it's a crapshoot in some ways around matchups, and neither, none of the teams really got blown out or anything. Uh, you had two two-goal losses and one one-goal loss um, for us. So, again, not as if there was, like, this this huge kind of inequity. But, like, was a bit of a commentary on, on you know, the ACC being very good top to bottom just by definition, but, like, not necessarily having that elite group. So we'll see if Duke beats Hopkins. I think if Duke is able to get advanced, then then sure, like we had the we had the one elite team in Duke, um, and then and then a lot of other teams that were just kind of beating up on each other. Versus if Duke loses to Hopkins, then maybe you know okay, like the ACC didn't have that elite team this year, but they had plenty of of, of talent at least. Also, it's Hopkins, so yeah. yeah. Also, Hopkins, I want you to lose just out of principle, and I yep. I, I almost considered rooting for Georgetown. Um, Ooh, that's tough. Consider Georgetown lacrosse is like such a nothing that like. I almost get it, but that's tough. Well, Georgetown, I mean, yeah, admittedly, like, Georgetown lacrosse probably stole that bid from, what, Ohio State? Yeah, I think so. Ohio State or maybe Rutgers. I mean, either way, I mean, I'd, I'd root for Ohio State lacrosse before any of the teams in that little quadrant. 
Oh, 100%. Because I, I, as soon as I they don't s- care. None of them care. Yeah, it, well, as soon as I saw that, like, quadrant come out, I'm like, ugh. Like, I just hate all four of those goddamn teams. And one of them's it, going to the Final Four. It's really brutal. Yeah, for, for Syracuse fans. And for those who aren't looking at the bracket like we are, uh, Hopkins faced Georgetown and Duke faced Villanova in the first round. Um, that's not all four like, of those no, teams. Nova was so clearly the most palatable um, yeah. option there. By a mile. And, and even then, like the fact that Villanova could be the most palatable means something's gone terribly wrong. It also guaranteed that only one of those four was getting to the Final Four, so I guess that's good. Yeah, I guess, although it's not like we have a much better situation now with how things shook out. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, God. But at least, at least, like, yeah, like, Albany, whatever, but, like, the fact that one of Yale or Loyola gets there is fine at me, and then everything else is just trash. Yep. Who, uh, who's your pick to win this thing, Dan? Um, hmm. I don't know. I feel like Maryland's just been the most consistent team, which is, uh, uh, you know, after crapping on how they play and how much I dislike them, uh, it just feels like a thing that should happen. Um, in terms of, as I said before, I'll, I'll probably root for Yale from this group, but it, I'll probably go with Maryland just because... I don't know. I'm, I'm actually I'm gonna pull in like other sports things. Like the Mets have been playing so poorly that my sports life right now is just kind of in shambles. Uh, so it feels like Maryland will probably win the the, the lacrosse tournament. Because like Hopkins, I feel like should, isn't gonna win. Just like Hopkins just hasn't gotten over the hump in such a long time. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'll say Maryland will win, and I'm rooting for for the Bulldogs for the Eli's. Yeah. Uh, gimme. I'm going with the final four of Maryland Duke. Yale and Denver. And then give me give me Duke over Yale in the final as much as I prefer the opposite. So, fair enough. I mean, I I could definitely see that as well. Duke Duke turns it on in the tournament a lot, so. They do. Although not in the last 3 years. They uh this is their if they this would be their first final four since 2014. So I really? learned while I was look Yeah, I know. I thought they were there every year. Uh, but yeah, I looked uh, looked over on Wikipedia, and that was uh, that was the result that came through. So it, it's probably right. Yeah, sure. Um, Dan, did you have any any kind of like around the uh, around the college football or basketball versus crap? I guess we could talk uh, NBA draft combine and and the lottery. It makes sense. I mean, Might that did well. happen. The lottery, the lottery did happen for uh, about two hours last night. <sighs> Jesus Christ! Just <laughs> it was so bad. It was so dumb. It was so bad. It was like no actual content. Like, like what they really should have done is like I, I would have been fine with either like some sort of roundtable of like former players from the teams, maybe like doing like a five minute thing on each team season, and like like that would have at least been something worthwhile instead it was just the usual like espn jerk offs like sitting there and like talking about the same thing over and over again that hasn't changed since the lottery order was set it really was like the the craziest amount of dragging something out you could possibly do like there was nothing meaningful done during that whole time until they actually did the drawing and during the 15 picks there were like two commercial breaks i know and even like the silver uh interview was bad yeah, and yet the one guy like going on for a minute about his Penny Hardaway bobblehead, right. and like it was insane. It was so. It was. It might have been like it wasn't quite as drawn out in terms of like length of the actual presentation as the um, uh, Slutch and Sunday, but I think Slutch and Sunday is more interesting than what we saw. Like, and, and I hate Slutch and Sunday. Oh, like especially this year was all horrible. Right. Um, yeah, last night was probably worse. Yeah, I, I, I don't really understand what was going on. It was like on. an hour and a half of like literally nothing anyone cared about, and then they shoved the information, but then they even spread that out a, way longer than it needed to be. It was just, oh, God. It was so bad. Yeah, and, and all that paired with the fact that my Knicks, once again, did not move um, for the 15th straight lottery, <laughs> which I, I feel like from an odds perspective, that's impossible. I mean, at least you guys had Patrick Ewing. At least we had Patrick Ewing, and that got us... That got us a seven-game loss to Houston, and then an injury to Patrick Ewing got us a five-game loss to San Antonio in the finals. Um, and I guess some cool memories, most of which I was too young to actually recall. So that's fun. 
I guess. But yeah, um, good for Phoenix. I, uh, I wrote something about them on the comeback today that posted, kind of talking about how they could finally fix what was like 10 years of just them just mailing in the whole rebuild process. Um, yeah, it's actually, it's crazy because like we were looking the other day, Phoenix is like one of the most winning. Like, yeah, in terms they're of like just, fourth like, winningest win ever. Percentage. They've never been bad until recently. Yeah, and which is like weird. odd because they've only made the finals, what, like twice? Yeah, maybe. That sounds right. Maybe twice. Yeah, this is a thing we can look up and verify. But they've always been like a pretty solid team all the way through the the, the Steve Nash. Um, and then like just recently they've been such a nothing. Um, and it's bizarre. It's like it's not weird because it feels like a team that should like have these down periods. But this last one's been so long. Um, yeah, so they went to the finals in '76 and '93. Yep, I remembered. Uh, I knew one was against the Celtics, the other one was against the Jordan Bulls. I just didn't know the years. Yeah. So, good for them. Um, I'm very interested to see what they do. Um, you obviously, I mean, I think it's down to uh, Aiton and Doncic, um, in which case you have connections to both those guys. Obviously, if you want to throw Badly in there, he's also a, an Arizona native. But really, what's, I mean, it's interesting that you have probably the top three picks in the draft, in all likelihood, all have... Uh, direct connections to either uh, the area um, with Aiton and, and Badley both being from Arizona or um, Doncic having played for the new uh, Suns coach. So really interesting situation here. Have they also, have they never had the first pick? Yeah, this is their first time with the first pick. That's what I thought. Um, I don't, like, here's the problem though. Like, I feel like Doncic should be the pick just because of the coach, but... Like, they don't need him. Like, if you look at, like, who's on the roster already, like, they don't really need him. No, I think Aiton's probably the... So I think Aiton probably fills in uh, a need better. Right. I think there's a chance that Doncic ends up being the better pro and you can, like, find a unique way to fit him in the team. But I think Aiton's easier to plug in, and I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to make a decision like this. Yeah, like, how many... Like, I don't necessarily buy the best player adage, like, when you have the first overall pick. Like, I just feel like if you have the first overall pick and you have every option available to you, like, I would almost try to trade back if you don't want to... I mean, and then again, like, I don't think any team... I don't think the number two team is going to try to jump in. So you're looking at, like, potentially falling further back. But, like, if you're the Suns, like, Doncic is the guy, but... Looking at your roster, like he's definitely not just because like you already have wings, like you have TJ Warren, you have Josh Jackson, um, you have Devin Booker. Like these are all guys that are redundant of Doncic in one way or another. Like so by that measure, like, you know, Aiton's the guy because you don't have any bigs because Chandler has one year left on his deal. Len isn't expiring. That's going to be off the books, and you're probably not going to re-sign here. Bender, we don't really know what he is. Like none of the like they don't really have size um, that that's dynamic on the offensive end like Aiton is. So that kind of leads to okay. So like you draft him, but then you know if, if he's a bust, then then you are kind of back at square one. I don't think they will be though because like right now their their salary for next year is on the books at seventy eight million. They have room to sign a big name if they want to. To be honest, like I don't think they're in the LeBron sweepstakes at all, unfortunately. But at the same time, like eh, some some big names in the next couple of years could see what they're building out there. Arizona's close to a lot of big cities, um, you know, Vegas, all the cities in Texas, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Um, you, you kind of have a Denver, like you have a nice location there. Your travel gets cut down considerably um, because of your location. Um, and you're not really necessarily like skewed one way or the other. Um, tax situation's great. Real estate prices are good. Like weather's great for the most part. Save the summer when you can live elsewhere anyway. Um, th- there's a lot of draws to Arizona. I just I don't know necessarily what's going to stop. Like what would stop it? A, a player looking for a, a cool situation where they can be the guy um, from going there, where there's already a lot of young pieces in place and a lot of manageable contracts to build something interesting. Yeah, and that makes you wonder if you like if you think Doncic is a guy, do you try to move off of a like a Josh Jackson after one year and maybe lose a little bit of value because he did come along late in the year, um, but try to jump back in 
to that late lottery um, area and try to add another piece elsewhere and then take Doncic in that spot. Yeah. I mean, that's a possibility. Like, like do you think that, that Doncic, Booker, and, and Warren can all coexist, though? Um, I think it depends on what kind of player Doncic is in the NBA. I've seen... He's a um, passer. I, yeah, I think he there's if, if he can be a point guard, um, and maybe not like, you know, your classic, you know, six foot two, obviously, point guard, but like a point guard in the... Um, I saw, I forget who it was, it might have been Ryan Russillo who compared him to James Harden uh, mm-hmm. the other day. Interesting. Um, in that sense where, you know, he's obviously going to try to be a store uh, as well. But if you think he can be the de facto point guard and Booker can play off of him, I don't see why not. Um, that that being said, like, uh, it, it, he definitely doesn't have, like, an obvious position. Um, and luckily we're in a, an era of positionless basketball, so that probably uh, takes away some of that concern. Um, but there is some overlap there. Uh but I think you do just, like, try to get the best players and plug them in and, and, and make it work. And he seems like a unique enough player where he can kind of be malleable in terms of um, sliding in next to the other talents they already have. Do you think there's any way that Sacramento would try to— Sacramento's number two, right? Yeah. Do you think Sacramento would yeah. would, would, would be willing to trade up one? Um, That's tough. I think trading up one's a weird thing because you're gambling on— the team ahead of you taking the same player that you want. Right. And that's not a guarantee here because they could easily want Aiton. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like that's, you're risking a having to give up a little. Unless you just don't have to give up that much, which is also a possibility. I mean, if, if, uh, if you have intel that you guys want different players and you don't have to give up like a, a huge hole to move up one spot, but you want to lock in, it's important enough for you to lock in that guy. Um, that's what I'd be curious about just from Phoenix's standpoint. Like, if you're Phoenix, do you do you say, you know what, we don't care who we get here? And, like, if, if Sacramento definitely does care? Yeah, if you don't care between those two. Right. Um, then, yeah, I mean, then I think it's a possibility. I just don't know how much the Kings are willing to give up. That being said, I realize now I'm talking about the Sacramento Kings, in which case they'll probably give up a lot because they're <laughs> dumb. They're just a dumb organization. I'm so glad that Malachi left. Yeah, I don't know what will happen with Malachi, but it's he's probably nothing most good likely, in Toronto. Unfortunately, he's most likely better off. He's better off, but only to an extent. Like I do think he needs to get to. That's the problem. Like in one way, like oh great, I'm going to be on a team that that has a lot of young players. They have no idea what the hell's on the roster. Like that sounds awesome, except for the fact that Sacramento mismanages everything. So then you get sent somewhere else, which is great, except for the fact that it's Toronto, who's already like kind of veteran laden and not necessarily going to give minutes i mean it's the same problem that like chris mccullough had when he got sent from brooklyn to washington is like okay so now you're just doomed forever to sit in like you know back and forth purgatory between like the d league whoever the hell their g league team is and like they don't have one right or they don't have one they don't have one yet i think they're gonna have one next year Um, the wizards do not i don't think the raptors do it's the the one that uh... yeah raptors 608 or whatever yeah, it's the one that uh, Stackhouse stretches. Yeah, that one I knew. Like, I didn't know the, the wizard situation for uh, for McCullough. Yeah, I'm not sure if the wizards have one. I, I, don't, I don't think they have one yet, or, like, they were the Dakota Wizards, or, or they're just sending everybody to Erie um, for the time being. I don't know. Anyway, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think, like, you know, any Syracuse player or any player really doesn't want to be in the situation that, like, that, like McCullough and, and Malachi have been in where you are in that purgatory situation where, like, you're not really... Even if you play well, and, and McCullough did play really, really well at the, at the G League level, is that you're not necessarily going to have your opportunity to, to, to succeed at the NBA just because, like, there are limited roster spots and some teams are in different situations. Like, in baseball, those situations just arise. You have a larger roster. There's, there's, there's more positions, obviously. There's different places where you can plug in as a young player. Um, that's not necessarily the case in basketball, where if a team's contending, like Washington thinks they are, like Toronto thinks they are, um, you know, you, you just you don't have that opportunity to slot in, no matter how talented you are at the G League level. Yeah, and that's why it's it's so tough looking at like what Tyus is is deciding on um, when you're going to be like a late first round pick, even if you had a guarantee. Fitting in is is just such a tough a tough spot. You can you can find a place where you end up playing like really good minutes, and that's happened for. For other Raptors, even like they use their bench really well, but it was the guys who, um, 
fit in uh, alongside their big-time guards, and, and then you, you have a guy like Fred Van Vliet who becomes like the super sub third guard on that roster, but the, that doesn't leave a spot for Malachi. So if you're Tyus Battle, um, obviously there are spots late in, later in the draft that uh, can work out great, but like the if Hawks. you win, it's... Yeah. But then like you're probably Hawk, taking... I mean, then you're probably taking Andrew White's spot. Yeah, possibly. Which, you know, is what it is. Um, but, like, the Hawks, there's going to be plenty of playing time to go around. Problem is you're on a bad team, but you can still make your name for yourself. Um, but if you're in one of these, like, loaded rosters or just a place that just happens to have a lot of guys in your position group, it becomes very difficult to stand out, um, even if you are a late first-round pick. Tyler and then, Lydon. obviously... Yeah, like Tyler Lydon, who also dealt with an injury this year, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. So, yeah, it's a really sticky situation. If he gets a first-round promise or a first-round grade... Um, I find it very hard to blame him for going for the guaranteed money, um, but it, 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 you know, you really have to. There, there is a lot, a lot of luck that goes into landing in a situation where you will be able to stick. I mean, look at Wes Johnson. Like Wes Johnson, obviously went really early in the draft. He didn't work out uh, to the uh, extent that you would hope. What, what was he a number three pick or a number uh, four pick? He was number. He was number four, I think. Dion was number three. Right. Um, but he, he was just able to find the right roster situation, and I think he still has guaranteed money coming to him next year. Dion is honestly like a fairly similar situation. He didn't work out in Cleveland, but um, I think he's going to be in Miami for a while. Hopefully the injury recovery goes well. But he's kind of found spots where he can prove himself versus, you know, guys, some of the younger guys that we've had go out who just never got into the right situation. So, you know, battles at the combine this week. Hopefully he impresses and does well. If not, uh, he has a, a very welcoming fan base back in central New York that will take him <laughs> in uh, gleefully, but we'll see. It seems like things are trending up for him. Um, if anything, based on what we've heard. Yeah. It, it seems like he's, he's at the top of the list of all of those uh, players that have a lot to, to, to earn or, or gain at the, uh, at the combine. I know Bleacher Report had him on there and uh, college basketball report had him on there. ESPN had him on there today. So um, I'd be shocked if he's back at this point. Um, I, I think everyone's just waiting for him to to show that he, you know, it, I, I, we talked about this in the comments a little bit. I think he's going to play in the five-on-five drills just so he can show himself outside of the zone um, in, in a more complete offense and one that doesn't necessarily completely rely on him. Um, so if he can do those two things in five-on-five drills, and I think he can, like there's nothing for him to, to gain from one-on-one um, competition just because all it does is mimic um, the type of offense that he was already playing in. So I think if he, he plays well in five-on-five, I think he'll get that that guarantee from somebody. Um, I just don't know who that is. I, I would I would bet that the Hawks are interested. Um, I didn't look at the rest of the back end. I would think that, that a player like him, you know, in San Antonio, like some other places, like where, where there's – there are openings for, for a guy like him. It just, again, like we said, depends on the fit. Um, but I, I could see him getting that first round uh, the guarantee um, this week. Yeah, and we could find out if he decides to pull out of drills. That's probably what that means. We've seen that with a couple guys already. I think Mitchell Robinson, the weird five-star player who committed to Western Kentucky and then never played there and yeah. then wasn't playing, he pulled out of drills today, um, which makes people think that he got a promise for the first round. Uh, and then I think a Boise State player did as well, which is interesting. Yeah, and I mean, if, if those names keep falling, like people have been saying, like if you listen to, like I don't know how much time you spend with uh... – like the draft class podcast over at uh, the Ringer, but I know they've talked about at length. Kind of, you know, the first like fifteen picks are kind of locked in, and then after that, like the sixteen through like forty fifth players are all like about the same. Which, you know, if you're if you're battle, if you're anybody in the back half of the second of the first round, you're doing a lot of mental calculus to see kind of how many guys are locked in and 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 what's left out there for you. And, and I mean, we're already seeing you know names drop off that list, so. Um, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, it is nice to see that Syracuse seems to be both like from Bayheim and like the school in general has been much better about like supporting him and like just being positive about the whole experience versus how we've handled the last couple, um, which obviously Bayheim done a Bayheim, but um, for a couple of years there, he was pretty good about it with like Dion and Wes and like those other guys who were going to go high. And then with these other like middling guys, he's been uh, pretty, pretty like salty. Yeah. Um, which, like, I get, but, you know, isn't the best way to handle it, I don't think. So it seems like we've kind of come around. I don't know if we had, like, some PR uh, lessons go around or whatever. 
but we, we seem to be handling the battle board much better. Um, and, you know, from, from battle side as well, you have his dad who seems to actually want him to come back if possible. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think we're all, we all, we've been through this so many times. I think most of us are, are kind of cool with whatever he decides and, and hopefully it works out. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, I guess off season podcast ended up going over an hour. Uh, these things happen. No one should be surprised actually. Yeah. I mean, it's not every week we get a stadium announcement, so true. A long, long awaited stadium announcement. I would agree. Um, all right, Dan, anything else before we, uh, depart this week? No, just uh, looking forward to uh, hopeful, the hopeful continued emergence of summer, which uh, has been here and then hasn't been here. So uh, We are just kind of hanging around that 65-degree and sunny range every day. So, I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll get to, like, real, quote-unquote, real summer soon-ish. Yeah, we were, we were at 80 earlier in the week, and today we were at, like, 50. So, yeah. New York. New York. Um, all right, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Train Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and uh, go orange. Go orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.